4: Welcome to the show. It's the Tuesday program. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. And as the announcer said, this is the word to stand on for life. A radio program dedicated to taking your phone calls, answering your Bible questions, questions about stuff going on in your life, church issues, whatever's on your heart. All you have to do is to provide the phone call, 210-340-9585. If you're outside the local San Antonio area, you can call toll-free at 877-630-KSLR. Numerically, that's 630-5757. You can email questions to us by emailing questions at calvarysa.com. Or you can use our free Calvary Chapel of San Antonio mobile app. And as always, if you're driving in your car, the safest way to call is to use the free KSLR mobile app. Hit the Call Now banner at the top of the screen. You'll be connected directly to our studio producer. We have nothing going on today, no announcements to make on Tuesday. So let's get right to the questions. Our first one is from Robert. Uh, he says, I'm a pastor. How do I inspire my church members to share the gospel? Robert, um, your church members need to be exhorted continually. One of the great things, Robert, about teaching the Bible the way I do it, and I'm not suggesting you need to do it the way I'm doing it, but, but every time I open my Bible, every time I have a Bible study, I have the opportunity to exhort the people to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. Not only that, but I have an opportunity to give the gospel. And that's because as you teach through the Bible, sometimes in topical messages, it's not so easy. But every time I teach the Bible, there's an invitation there. And one of the things I want to do, Robert, is tell my people that they're not walking in faith. They're not being obedient to their calling as as a Christian if they're not sharing their faith. I let them know you don't have to be a Theologian, you don't have to be a a serious Bible scholar to share your faith. Um, I encourage them to share what God has done in their lives. You know, nobody's an expert on their life except them, and uh, they know what God has done. And so one of the things that we really need to focus on is telling our people to put into action that which we teach them week after week after week. And I think, Robert, that that comes from the top. So here's what I think you do. I think you continually remind them that if they're not sharing their faith, they're missing out. In Philemon, the sixth verse, Paul writes to Philemon, who is a pastor, and he says to Philemon, I pray that you will be active in sharing your faith so that you will have a full understanding of every good thing that we have in Christ. Now, two things about that. One is if you're not sharing the gospel, it's because you don't understand. You don't really get it, what God has done for you. There's a lack of gratitude. So I think that's really important. I pray that you will be active in sharing your faith. Continually lay that before your people. And as a pastor, a Bible teacher, Robert, if you don't do that, Um, then your people aren't being instructed. You know, I think one of the things that happens to Bible teachers is we get so focused on the story, what's happening, what the Bible says and what it means, but we forget about the the important part that's applying what it means in our lives. I want my people to be able to go home every day and use what they heard. Let me give you another example. We had a Bible study just this past uh, Sunday. It was the... Uh, first seven verses of Acts chapter 6, and it was really about the conflict resolution. And and what I told our church was, hey, this is not a dynamic portion of Scripture. Nobody's going to leave here with goosebumps today. However, this is so practical and so important because this will give you the keys to resolving any and every conflict that you have in your life. And I hope I presented it in such a way that they would be able to go home and use it Now, in doing that, I had the opportunity to talk about sharing the gospel. The Apostle Paul says that he was compelled, obligated to both Greek and Jew to share the gospel. And I think the important thing for you, Robert, is that you need to be active in sharing your faith. And if you are, then you can say to them, follow me as I follow Christ. I think that's so critical. Robert, I think it's so critical. And what will happen when your people are sharing the gospel, when they're sharing the story about what God has done in their life, they're going to start bringing people to church with them. You know, at our church, Robert, we don't have to to, uh, spend any money trying to figure out a a way to get more people in the church. Um, um, We we simply share the gospel. We equip the Christians, the saints, for the work of ministry. That's Ephesians chapter 4. And the work of ministry begins and I think ends with sharing the gospel. Now, There's a lot more to ministry than just that, but I think that's the the starting place. So I think you've got to be excited about it. Not programs, don't give them tracks, um, the, the Romans road, none of that nonsense. Just tell them to share with strangers what God has done in their life. You know, I know I've talked about this before on the program, but Paul and I uh, literally everywhere we go, we're talking about Jesus and people see that they hear it. We introduce ourselves to people that we don't know. And in doing so, we're trying to give God an opportunity to do something. Now, not every door gets open, that's for sure. But there are a lot of doors that do get opened and we love doing that. And I just think that's got to be who we are. It's got to be part of our Christian DNA. And that sixth verse of Philemon, um, uh, I tell our people all the time that if you're not sharing the gospel, you don't really understand the depth of riches that that gospel contains for you. I was watching a video that somebody uh, showed me uh, yesterday. No, it was Sunday. Uh, Pin and Teller. Uh, I don't know which one is which, and and I know they're both atheists, but um, and I don't listen to them, but he wanted to show me. And, and one of them, the bigger guy of the two, um, he was saying, as an atheist, he was saying to Christians, he was saying, if you really believe that Jesus is the only way to heaven, and you're not sharing it with other people, he said, then you're an evil person. So how much more should we be exhorting Christians to do that work? So, Robert, I hope that helps you a little bit. Uh, I'm my, I'm t- that's Pin Gillette who said that on that YouTube video. Um, um, I just think it's that important. And I think that the one thing missing from most pulpits in the United States is exhortation, getting people out of their chairs getting faith to their feet and doing it. And our job as Bible teachers is not just to teach them, but to exhort them to put into practice what they learn. Robert, I hope that helps. God bless you for wanting to inspire your people to do that. Here's a question from Fran. She says, I know women cannot be pastors, but can they be professors at a seminary? Good question, Fran. The Bible uh, only uh, prohibits them from uh, the office of pastor in a church. So, so, yes, I would think certainly they can be professors at a seminary. Um, I understand the tension that that might cause. But, but of course, they can be um, professors at a seminary um, as long as they understand the limitation of their role. Now, every time I get a question like this, friend, I want to be sure that everybody understands that the Bible is not saying that men are more spiritual or men are better equipped. It's simply that Jesus has given this one role to men and men alone. You know, sometimes the Bible teaches, I think in the Old Testament in particular, it teaches that we get the kind of leadership we deserve. So maybe we, the church has men in charge because that's the kind of leadership that we deserve. I don't know the answer to that question, but here's what I know. It's Jesus' church, and he gets to make the rules. So they cannot be pastors. They cannot teach and have authority or teach from a position of authority, which being a pastor is, uh, over men um, in church, but in church alone. Men are the head of the home and head of the church and leadership. Everywhere else, whether it's political office, uh, national or local, uh, bosses at work, women have access to anything and everything um, except that one role. And, Fran, I know a lot of women who resent that, uh, but that's the, I call it the Eve syndrome. You know, the one thing you can't have is the one thing we want. One other comment here, Fran, is is this prohibition or this um, establishment of of uh, male leadership in the church. Remember, all of this is a result of the fall of man. And then goes into the category of being a curse. So how do you deal with a curse? You die to yourself. You do what God says. And the power of the Holy Spirit overcomes. Good question. Thank you very, very much. We've got our friend Reuben on the line on the line one. Reuben, thanks for calling. You're on the air.
3: Yeah, bless you, Pastor Ron. I pray. Thank you, Reuben. day today. Thank you. Yeah. Um, quick question. Psalms, Psalms 27 and 13. Um, can I take that personally for me? Um, you know, in, in regards to what I'm going through. Everything that I'm going through, can I say that and just say, look, I am confident that I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living? And the way that I mean it, I mean, and I may be wrong, correct me if I'm wrong, but the way that I mean it is that I will be healed on this side of heaven, and I will walk, and I will, or...
4: R- I Ruben, that, yeah... I know where you're going with this, and that's a really hard one because God doesn't heal. Uh, Promise healing, physical healing. Uh, The the verse that you asked about when David says, I'm confident of this, I'm still confident. I love that because he describes a whole bunch of problems that he's having in the previous verses. Um, yeah, um, you know he he's he's going through a very difficult time, and, and yet he can say, "I'm still confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living." Job said basically the same thing. I know that my Redeemer lives, and I will see him on that day. So ultimately, um, we know we all get healed when we go to heaven, but being physically healed in this life has, is not a measure of the goodness of God. Reuben, you have had God do so much in your life. I want you to think about something, and I know you won't object to me getting a little personal with you, um, because no, you're always right. yeah you're you're always eager to help other people. But uh, in the time that you've been calling this radio program, you have changed so much. You have fallen in love with the Lord. You've got to a place where, in these difficult times that you deal with, physically and emotionally. In those difficult times, you always find yourself running back to the Lord. Sometimes you do it very quickly. Other times it may take a little bit longer. But you find yourself yeah. running back into yeah. the presence yeah. of the Lord. And he, you, yeah. he always meets you with his goodness in the land of the living. He meets you where you are and takes you to a place where you're closer to him. And Reuben, I can tell you, had it not been for your physical afflictions, and you needing to be completely dependent on the Lord, you would not be in that position um, uh, that you are in today. He used those trials. And that's what the Apostle Paul says. I was reading out of Galatians today, and and Paul was was sort of chewing them out. He was talking uh, to them about uh, how they received him uh, when he fell ill. Uh, And I thought, isn't it interesting? Paul healed so many people in the New Testament, in the book of Acts. But but when he himself was sick, there was no healing. And the, the the Christians in Galatia, they were the ones who ministered to him. He said, you know, you would have plucked out your eyes and given them to me. You treated me, uh, you know, the way you would have treated Jesus himself. And And yet Paul suffered with that. So Christians have been suffering physically and spiritually and emotionally from the beginning of time. However, in this particular case, um, claiming a healing, and, and, and I want to emphasize this because there's so many people in our audience who go to churches that, that demand God heal them and, and claim that healing is a promise of God if you just have enough faith. That's simply not true. The Apostle Paul did not get healed physically at all. And uh, if if he can't do it, we certainly can't say he didn't have faith um, but but we, all of us, can take that verse uh, out of 13, verse 13 in Psalm 27. Remember, David is writing it in context of his own struggles, his own trials, but every one of us can take that as an absolute promise of the Lord that we will see the goodness of God in the land of the living, and that goodness, Reuben, is manifest in so many ways, but this is not a promise of physical healing. And for those of you who, like Reuben, struggle with physical healing or physical affliction, um, and you're faithful through it, as Reuben has been faithful through it, believe me, when you get to heaven and you see the crowns that Jesus has awaiting you, believe me, you wouldn't have changed a single thing. I know I use this example uh, often but I've listened to Joni erickson Tata Johnny erickson Tata um describe her condition and she is a paraplegic and 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 now as she's getting older she suffers from uh she had breast cancer she suffers from some lung issues that that are caused by uh being uh, paraplegic uh quadriplegic I think she is and um um you know she she has been quoted as saying that um As close as I am to the Lord and the way he's used me, if I had the chance now to undo it and be able to walk this whole life but wouldn't have experienced the things that I've experienced, I wouldn't do it. I wouldn't do it over. I wouldn't change a thing. Now, that doesn't mean she likes the pain. It doesn't mean that her focus is wrong. It just means that she experiences the goodness of God in the land of the living every single day, and Ruben, you can do it too. Does that help? Yeah, I understand.
3: It does, and it, clarifies, it It makes sense to me, and and I thank you that you have the candor to tell me, you know, hey, this is the way it is, and that's what I need. That's what I need, yep. and I do understand.
4: Praise the Lord. Of the
3: Lord. Thank you. Thank, thank you, you
4: so Ruben. Much, God bless you. God bless you. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions or toll-free 630 K-S-L-R, um, one of the best things about Reuben is that uh, he wants to get better. Not physically, not just physically, he wants to get better. Douglas asked me a personal question. Pastor Ron, how did you know it was God leading you to start a free school or other steps of faith that you have taken? Douglas, um, it's a hard question to answer because I think God speaks to every one of us a little bit differently. Uh, first, I had uh, confirmation in the Word uh, over and over and over when I was reading the Word. I'll just give an example in, in uh, um, the Gospels. Jesus said, Um, freely you have received, now freely give. Now, I understand exactly what he was talking about as he was sending them out on their uh, mission where where the disciples went out two by two. Um, uh, But but when I was reading that, uh, again, God put this burden on my heart for for a school. Uh, It never occurred to me that it would be free. It never occurred to me that it would be free. And one day, as I was reading that passage, the Lord spoke so profoundly to my heart that I knew beyond any doubt at all. I knew. Having said that, Douglas, it's also important to understand that God wants us to walk by faith. And if you know everything for sure, then it really doesn't take faith. You can be obedient, but but faith requires that 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 we walk with Jesus, we do what he tells us to do, and uh, that's when we put ourselves in a position of of um, seeing the hand of God move in and through our lives over and over and over. Um, and I'll tie these two together in a moment. But when we started the, the Medical, which is our free family practice doctor's office, um, that never occurred to me. And, and just one time through a personal experience, I, I, I needed to go to a doctor. Uh, I knew I would be uh, uh, referred to some sort of specialist, uh, but they made me go to the GP first. And I remember spending a whole day, just a whole day. I don't have that kind of time, an entire day. And I remember just sort of muttering under my breath to the Lord, Lord, nobody has time to do this. I can't take this kind of time. And then I've got to make an appointment with now a specialist, go through this all over again. And I said to the Lord, I said, it shouldn't be this hard to go to a doctor. I'm reasonably intelligent, not super smart, but I'm reasonably intelligent. We ought to be able to go to a doctor and get it done in a reasonable period of time. And the result was um, the Lord began speaking to my heart just by, by virtue of putting a burden on my heart. Now, from the time God put that burden on my heart regarding multimedical. It was 12 years before we opened the door. God was simply saying, I'll take care of this. I'm going to do something. I can take care of my own. And it was 12 years. you got to be patient, Douglas. So I knew. Now, when it was time to start or when it was time to start was made clear to me, and this is sort of just the way God deals with me, um, he brings the people around me uh, to do it, to do the work. Obviously, I can't do the work. I mean, I'm not a doctor, I'm not a school teacher. And uh, later, we're going to be opening a free restaurant. I'm, I'm, uh, I can't cook. I, can, I can eat, but I can't cook. Um, and and God brings people around. Uh, I'll never forget when He brought. Um, uh, Pastor Barry was the first principal of our school. Um, he was an education, um, uh, that was his graduate degree in, 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 uh, in college education major. Uh, he was, he was doing that work for the air force. He was a, a major in the air force, uh, at the time. And, um, one day I just shared the vision in a Bible study. Don't even know why I did it. Was led by the Lord to do it. And, and he came up to me, he said, you know, can we talk about that school? And so we made an appointment. He came in and and he said, you know, I can do that. That's what I do. I can start a school. Now, he didn't know it was free at the time, but he said, I can start a school. And so we started praying about it, both of us. And God brought us to that point where, okay, it's time to go. The same thing happened with Malta Medical. Uh, Dr. Peter and his wife, Dr. Sheba, uh, showed up at our church. They had no intention of staying in San Antonio. Uh, they were the kind of Christian that kind of walked in the back door, uh, didn't really want to get involved because they knew they weren't going to be staying in San Antonio, uh, and yet God completely over the three or three and a half years that they were here, uh, before they were done with their residencies, um, um, God made it clear that this was their permanent duty station. This is where they would serve the Lord, and um, they heard the the vision about our free doctor's office and um, uh, God made it clear to them and then made it clear to me that they were the ones to do it. So Douglas, that's sort of my green light. That's my goal light when God brings people around to do the work. And, uh, you know, when those pieces start to fall into place, I knew beyond any doubt that it was time to do those things. Now he may work differently with you. Um, Um, You know, we've been instrumental in a couple of other Calvary chapels starting schools. Uh, One of them is doing it free. Others are doing it as inexpensive as they possibly can. God will give each church their own vision. But I think um, when you, and I hate to sound trite like this, but, but when it's time to know, you'll know. I think sometimes we want to play it safe. And so we're a little hesitant to step out. I think when you know it's what God wants you to do, that's when you go after it full speed. You go after it full speed. Very, very important. So I just knew. And now now I've left out the most important step in this. I'm married to a wonderful, godly woman. And when God puts these crazy ideas on my heart, I run them by her before anybody else ever hears anything about them. And I think she sort of locks herself in the bathroom. Oh, this man you've given me, Lord, what crazy thing is he going to do next? But you know what? She prays for me and with me, and, and, and I know she's in it with me. And when Paul is in it with me, believe me, we can do anything can two walk together unless they agree to do so we husbands need to take advantage of our wives in that sense hey we've got 30 minutes left in our tuesday show 340-9585 or toll free 877-630-KSLR this is the word to stand up for life i'll be back in two minutes
1: back to the word to stand on for life we're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll free 877-630-KSLR now here's pastor ron arbaugh
4: welcome back to the second half of our tuesday show we'd love your calls 340-9585 let's go to jerry holding on line one from san antonio jerry thank you for calling you're on the air
2: yeah, hi, Pastor Ron. This is uh, Jerry from Calvary. Hi, Jerry. Just a couple of quick things. Um, I know you like the warmer weather, but I have to disagree <laughs> with you there. I hate to see <laughs> spring and summer come.
4: But, oh, no, uh, no, no. You no, always no. have a
2: real good take on other ministries, and I so respect your opinion. It's actually changed a lot of my uh, viewing habits. What's your take on these two pastors that i'll mention here in a moment and also you mentioned it just a few minutes ago and i've even asked uh pastor matthew about it what's the scoop on unusual kindness also if you could give us an update where on where that's at but what's your take on pastors uh andrew womick who has caris bible college up in uh, beautiful colorado and also on rick renner who lives in uh Moscow and I'll just hang up and listen. Thank you so much. And I'll see you on Sunday.
4: Thank you, Jerry. Let me answer the first that question first before I talk about unusual kindness. Um, Andrew Womack is a false teacher. Um, Avoid him at all costs. Period. 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 He's he's um, uh, I I call him skull and crossbones ministries. It warning label on them. Andrew Womack is a prosperity guy. And shouldn't now, Rick Renner. If he's Richard Renner, if, if that's the same person, uh, he he also is somebody that that ought to be avoided. Uh, if it's not Richard Renner, and that's the only way I know him, uh, know anything about his ministry, uh, then I, I apologize to uh, Rick Renner in advance because I really don't know. But if it's Richard Renner, those are two people, Jerry, that that you need to stay away from. Everybody does, um, you know. Discernment. We all have discernment. If we're in the Word, we're able to discern that which is true versus that which is false. And we are implored through Scripture to be workmen, workwomen, rightly dividing the Word of God. Um, The man and the woman who isn't in the Word uh, is simply not going to be able to discern uh, from false teaching and good teaching. Um, I'm not saying that about you, Jerry, at all. But um, uh, we we need to be equipped. We truly need to be equipped to know what is uh, true um, as opposed to that which is false. And both of those guys, um, um, Andrew Womack Unqualified, he's a a bad teacher. Stay away. The other guy, if it's Richard Renner, that's, again, that's the minister I'm familiar with, um, he's somebody that you want to stay away from as well. Regarding Unusual Kindness, for the rest of the audience who has no idea what Unusual Kindness is, uh, Unusual Kindness is the name of the free restaurant that we're trying to open. And um, um, as everybody knows, we have been sort of stymied by the city. Um, They were thrilled that we were going to open a restaurant, but when they found out it was free, um, you know, they, they were certainly less thrilled. I guess there wouldn't be any any uh, uh, tax income for him, um, and they put a stop to it. So um, when things like that happen, we we know this is what God is going to do. He's he's given us the name Unusual Kindness, uh, just like Malta Medical comes from Acts 28, so does Unusual Kindness, the name, come from Acts chapter 28. Uh, And so, again, we've got the people ready to staff it. Um, what we need is a place, and we want a place close enough to, uh, to us, um, or ideally a bigger place where everything, all of our ministries can be under one roof. Uh, but as of now, the place that we wanted to put it, which is an empty place right next door to our church location, now uh, the city refused to do that. So I just sort of always look at those situations, Jerry, as God is sort of tapping the brakes. And telling us to wait, I've got this. I told you earlier that it was 12 years before we opened Malta Medical. It won't be 12 years before we open Unusual Kindness. But uh, at the same time, um, God sort of tapped the brakes. But we are going after it full speed ahead, and uh, without any details. Let me just say uh, we could we could use all of your prayers. There is. Uh, Something possibly in the works now. or at the very beginning stages, and the city is willing to work with us. God changed their hearts, and so um, there's a a possibility that something is in the works right now. So thank you for asking, Jerry. I appreciate it very, very much. Here's a question anonymously from our email inbox. Pastor Ron, my church just hired a pastor who does not have a wife. My understanding is that a pastor should have a wife, um, I was always taught that a pastor needs to have a wife when I asked the leadership of my church about this, they explained that a wife was not necessary. Do you have anything to say on the matter uh, i'm going to agree with your your church leadership um anonymous um being married is not a requirement um in the in the description for um the qualifications of a pastor. Um, it says he must be the husband of one wife and literally in Greek it's a one woman man and the assumption there is that most are married and if they are they have to be faithful to their wife you you can't just divorce and remarry and divorce and remarry Uh, that's not godly character so there's no uh, insistence on a pastor being married personally anonymous I believe it's better if a pastor is married Uh, I've got Uh, An unmarried uh, man who is my youth pastor, my my junior high school pastor, and uh, he has a desire to get married, and I keep praying for a a wife to come along to support him in ministry, but it isn't necessary. Interestingly, um, Paul and I just saw, I was in Houston speaking at a conference this past weekend, and we saw uh, the Calvary Chapel pastor from San Marcos. His name is Eric, really good guy. And uh, he's been there for quite some time now, and he's been, he was always single. And when I talked to him in the past, he said, no, I think this is my calling. I think I'm going to be single. Well, at the conference, he introduced us to his wife of a year and a half, and I was so blessed. Uh, He was content as a single man. He was content knowing that he, or feeling that he was called to stay single, uh, and he was doing a great job there. Um, But the Bible says it's not good for men to be alone. And the the wife is a helpmate or helper. And um, God, at just the right time, brought him just the right woman. But it isn't necessary. Now, let me give you some biblical uh, evidence, Anonymous. Um, The one who writes these things. We know him as the Apostle Paul was a church planter, an evangelist, uh, an apostle, uh, a pastor. He wasn't married. He wasn't married. Of all of the disciples that Jesus had, the only one that we know for sure was married was Peter. So God uses people where they are if they're willing to surrender their heart to him. And uh, if your church hired a pastor who is single, then pray for him, pray uh, for for a, a wife, um to come along but um it's not necessary at all for somebody to be married. Good question. Thanks very very much. 3409585 for your live calls. Here is a question from Bill. Um he says um, you know sometimes I'm seeing these questions for the first time. Uh, that's why I was laughing. Bill says, Have you considered using gender-neutral programs as a way of reaching out to the trans community? That's not reaching out to the trans community, Bill. Um, that's enabling the trans community. Um, I, I would never consider using gender-neutral programs or pronouns. It's it's not true. Um, it's awkward. I, I just don't think um, um, a, a lifestyle is an excuse to to change the, the English language. So no, I would never do that. Now, the way I would reach out to them, Bill, is in love. And it's not loving. It is not loving to go to somebody who is in the process of transitioning. It's not loving for them if I say to them it's okay to do it. And if I change the way I speak to them, I'm not. I will call anybody by any name they want. If somebody who's obviously a man comes in and he wants to be called Beverly, I'll call him Beverly. But what I won't call him is a girl. So we've got to be direct. Uh, I tell our church all the time, you can be kind and direct at the same time. But you've got to be direct. Otherwise, it's unloving. So no, I've never considered using gender-neutral pronouns, nor will I ever consider um, pretending um, that a man can be a woman or a woman can be a man. It's simply not true, and it isn't helpful. It isn't helpful. Gabriel says, um, Israel, does the name refer to a nation or to people? Well, when you see it in the Old Testament... Uh, the people of Israel. It it refers to the nation of Israel. Now, the individual people are Jews, Gabriel. So Israel refers to a nation. The promises of God to Israel are promises of a nation. Uh, If they would have obeyed God, the blessings and the cursings on Mount Ebal and Mount Gerizim, um, it it was a promise uh, of blessing or a promise of curse to a nation and there's no nation that's ever been made up of 100% of the people that are are really following god so it's a it's a promise to a nation god's chosen people israel but the promise now to individual jews remains that apart from saving faith in jesus christ apart from being born again as jesus told nicodemus you of all people should not be surprised when i say you must Be born again. Um, Those are the people that are governed by God. And by the way, Gabriel, that's what Israel means. It means governed by God. And it's interesting when you're, especially when you're reading Jacob's story in Genesis. um, You know, Jacob and and, and his name Israel are interchangeable. and, And God uses the different names because there's different times in, in Jacob's life where he's Jacob the con man. Other times when he's Israel governed by God. When you get to Romans, uh, in chapter 11, he says, not all Israel is Israel. All Israel will be saved, we're told. But not all Israel is Israel, so not all Jews are governed by God. So that's the word play on it. So Israel refers to a nation. And, and Gabriel, every promise God has made to Israel, every single one, is a promise that God has to keep. So those promises are still yes and amen. And uh, as we get to the end of the age, which I believe we are already there, uh, we're going to see Israel once again coming to the forefront of God's plan. When the church is raptured out of here, God's attention one hundred percent of his attention reverts back to Israel to fulfill all of the promises that he made to his people. Good question thank you very very much Wendy says pastor what is the difference between venerating Mary and worshipping her um, wendy um I don't think there's any difference at all I think that's a sort of a, a splitting hairs type of description when when you talk to a Catholic and you say, you know, Mary would be embarrassed by the attention that you give her and, and we're to worship God and God alone. Oh, no, we don't worship Mary. We venerate her. Well, we're giving her too much credit. Now, Mary was a wonderful, wonderful woman chosen by God to be the mother of God, righteous and pure and love God with all of her heart. And she was brave. Oh, I so admire this girl. But our worship, our venerating, all of it needs to be directed only to Jesus Christ. And if you want proof from Mary's own mouth, read her Magnificat. Luke chapter 2, read her Magnificat. She simply says, He is my Savior. I'm a sinner. And look what God has done. So the difference, I think, is negligible. I think when you... Uh, give attention to Mary, and I, I have people say, well, well, you know, if you want something done, you go to the person's mother, so to ask Jesus, I go, well, you, Mom, you go talk to him. That's blasphemy. It's absolutely blasphemy. And by the way, Wendy, praying to saints is also the same thing. Those that we think have gone before us, and there's some special category of super saint simply not true. The saints of God are those of us who are born again. So focus on Jesus. He is the object of the work the Holy Spirit is doing. And if you want to know if anything is of the Lord, the Holy Spirit is going to point you right to Jesus. That's how you identify that which is genuine and real. So Wendy, thank you for the question. I hope that helps. Joseph says, my question is, why did Paul order Timothy to be circumcised but not Titus? You know, Joseph, people think that's a contradiction or an inconsistency in the way Paul was um, um, discipling um, people. Um, Nothing could be farther from the truth. Uh, Titus was a Gentile. Um, He wasn't required to be circumcised. Now, Timothy, who was a half-Jew, uh, wasn't required to be circumcised. But remember, he's the one that took over for the Apostle Paul. And Paul, to be able to send Timothy, I have no one like him who's, who's concerned only about your your interests or your needs, um, um, he had to be available to go to Jews. And so what Paul was doing with Timothy was simply saying this. He was saying, Timothy, here's how you can expand the scope, and the impact of your ministry. Be circumcised. That way you can go to the Jews. You can speak to them with authority. Obviously, Paul knew what Timothy was being groomed to do. And Timothy, because he was full of the Holy Spirit, he also wanted an impactful ministry. He allowed it to be done. Paul didn't order him to. This was simply Paul saying, "Uh, Timothy, this is the way to expand your ministry. Titus, completely different circumstance, and no necessity of doing that, so that's all there's no inconsistency there at all. It's simply Timothy being given the opportunity to walk into the fullness of ministry. I always think of of elisha uh, as opposed to elijah elisha wanting asking for a double portion of elijah's um uh, ministry anointing. And and um, and Timothy was simply saying, "Okay, well, Paul, I'm going to take over uh, from you for you. Um, so, so I want to follow your example." And he listened to the Paul, the Apostle Paul say, uh, "This is the way to expand your ministry." Joseph, let me take this in a little bit different direction. But uh, I've got some of my pastors who are pretty tattooed, and um, I always remind them that remember with every tattoo you get you're going to be unable to minister to some people. And so I want them to be able to weigh the, 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 the need or the desire for a tattoo against the ability or inability to talk to more people. I think we pastors, you know, we ought to be like uh, umpires or referees in sports. We, we should be invisible. You know, we, we teach the word, but we don't want to cause distractions. And I tell my guys all the time, you're free to do it. But remember, the tattoos that are visible are going to be a distraction for some people and and in some way may then limit your ministry effectiveness. And and I just want them to make a decision uh, with all the information based on what the Spirit is speaking to their conscience. Romans 14.23 says, Everything not of faith is sin. And would they come to me and say, well, um, I'm okay with this, there's certainly no prohibition against it. We all want our ministries to be effective to the widest audience possible. Thanks, Joseph. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. Here is a question from Walter. Um, Hebrews 3 says, or in Hebrews 3, Paul says, This generation will never enter my rest. Who is he talking about? Well, remember, he's writing to Jewish converts to Christianity. And he's using the example of the wilderness Jews, Walter. The wilderness Jews uh, who took off. They were delivered from Egypt. They were set free. God did miracle after miracle after miracle for them in the wilderness. um, But because they didn't have faith. They all had the promises of God. But they didn't combine the promises of God with faith in God and they missed. And then Paul says, for this reason, uh, they will never enter my rest. That just means that entire first generation save two people, Caleb and Joshua. The entire generation perished in the wilderness and they did so because of unbelief. So that's the generation that he's talking about. Um when they went over uh when they crossed the Jordan into canaan uh, it was the second generation of jews who who inherited the promises uh to the first generation. They forfeited their ability um because of unbelief now walter that's an important lesson for all of us uh by being disobedient um by refusing to walk in faith, Hebrews eleven six says, Without faith, it's impossible to please God. There's a lot of New Testament Christians who, because they're afraid or because they don't want to do it, maybe it's just rebellion, um, maybe they're just timid, maybe they're just so conservative. But, but the reality is we miss out on a lot of what God wants to do through us, in us and through us we miss out because of unbelief. Everybody listening to this program who thinks, well, God could never use me to do something big. You're missing out. Read the promises of God. I always like to tell our church, just read the promises in Romans chapter 8. Everybody who questions, God, I thought you loved me. If you love me, why is this happening to me? That's unbelief. That's unbelief. The, The man or the woman who beats themselves up with guilt and condemnation because they they sinned and now they're just, I can't believe I did it. That's unbelief. And if you persist in unbelief, you're going to miss out on a lot of things that God has for you. It's not a salvation issue, but it really is a fruit issue. Jesus promised us an abundant life. And Walter, there's no abundant life. You know, I, I, I think about those... Exodus Jews that first generation I mean they saw the Red Sea part before that they plundered Egypt they walked out of Egypt with 400 plus years worth of wages when they got thirsty there was water that came from a rock when they got hungry and started complaining manna from heaven came every day for 40 years. And they forgot it. They didn't think about it. So we need to be careful of unbelief. It is a killer. Time for one more. This is from Jeremy. He says, how do we determine the right way to conduct church services? Why not let everyone share what God has on their hearts? Jeremy, uh, we had a, a, a situation in our foundations class this past weekend where uh, a young woman was saying kind of the same thing. Well, well, there's all kinds of different ways to worship God, and everybody ought to be free, and they're all just as valid one or the other. That's simply not true. Uh, we determine the right way to do church services based on the model that God has given us in his word it's that simple the book of Acts beginning in chapter 2 verse 42 tells us what the church is supposed to do and how the church is supposed to function and then because God obviously knows there's carnal Christians he gives us rules for order and decency And we have to follow those rules. So it's simply not okay. Somebody could say, well, at our church, we run around. At our church, everybody speaks in tongues at once. We can objectively say, that's wrong. That's not of God. That's not of the Holy Spirit. And while people don't like when we say that, we can say that because the Holy Spirit would never contradict himself. And the Holy Spirit is already written in the Word of God the way that church services should function. So that's how we determine the right way or the wrong way of doing church. You know, Jeremy in Acts chapter 2, it says they clung to the apostles' doctrine. They clung to it. They held on to it. That's teaching the Word. Teaching the Word is the most important thing that happens in a church. And uh, that has to be the focus. Now, we worship God. Um, that's wonderful, but we have to worship in, in orderly fashion. Um, but, but primarily, the teaching of the Word takes center stage in a church service. And that's why we teach the whole counsel of God. That's what Paul said to the Ephesian elders in his farewell in Acts chapter 20. So, Jeremy, that's the way we determine what's right and what's wrong. And believe me, there is a right and there is a wrong. Hey, thanks for tuning in. You've been listening to The Word to Stand On for Life. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. May the Lord bless you and keep you. Lord willing, I'll be back tomorrow at 4 o'clock on AM 630 The Word. We'll see you then.
1: Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapel's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh.